Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics. Featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by George Cardenas, Jeff Helm, Kitty Kurth, and Michael Lotus. Our program tonight, coming to you from our own base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's brucedumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com. If you ever miss a show on Sunday night, you can watch it anytime the following week, literally within hours after the show, radio and television, uh, both versions of the show. And, again, wherever you're listening around the country, nice to have you with us this evening. As usual, we've got a full two hours for you. In the second hour, we're going to be focusing our attention on the information that was released and some of the information that was not released on the Kennedy assassination. That will be the topic in hour number two. But in hour number one, I want to get everybody's reaction. We've got a balanced panel, as we always do for you this evening. And uh, Michael Lotus, you're, you're the you're the card-carrying Republican, one of the card-carrying Republicans tonight. And as as I was watching the Sunday shows today, mm-hmm. uh, you had Chris Christie was out there a lot, and then uh, Adam Schiff was out there a lot, and they were talking about the the the, the pending indictment of someone tomorrow, uh, and 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 that was a focus. And then they got into the discussion of the dossiers and what, what, what the Democrats knew and how, how they were involved in releasing information and uranium and everything else. And as, as I was sitting, and I think I'm, I'm fairly astute and up-to-date on, on, on a lot of stuff, as I was sitting there, being a political animal, my eyes began to glaze over. And I w- I'm wondering how many people out beyond the Beltway are not only interested in this story, but following this story, has this story become so complex on both sides that there's going to be no clear winner in this fight for the hearts and minds of the American people? Part of the apparent complexity is that we simply don't have the hard facts, which means we need to get the email traffic, we need to get all the documentation pertaining to all of this. We need to know all about the communications between the DNC and their law firm, where they apparently were trying to conceal their $12 million or $6 million investment in this dossier. We need to get all the information pertaining to the $500,000 Bill Clinton got and the $145 million that went to the the, uh, Clinton Foundation. The problem is you're speculating in an absence of facts. The last thing I'll say is Jeff Sessions seems to be absent without leave. The Attorney General should be taking the lead on getting to the bottom of all of this. And if there's nothing wrong there, great. And if there is, we need to know what it is. Kitty Kurth, you are a Democratic operative. Uh, You know a good issue when you see and hear one. My question to you is the complexity of the subject, and now the the finger-pointing, that, as there always is in politics, has this story reached a point where it really isn't going to benefit one party or the other when it's all over? No, but let me go back to part of your first question. It's extremely complex, and I think me and 25 of my Facebook friends are following it closely. And I think other than that, most Americans, their eyes glaze over. There's so much going on. That said, I am a history major. I was also taught to examine first sources. 
I have read all of the first source material. I've read the dossier. I've read all the documents leading up to that and Donald Trump's long association with the Russians. I have also read all of the influence that the Russians have done in all of the elections in Europe since our own election. And the only story that matters, the big story, the historical story, is Russian influence in our election and in other sovereign nations' elections. And that's what, in five years from now— But were they getting some help from Democrats as well as Republicans? No, what happened with the Democrats is what happens in every election cycle. There's op research that was commissioned by Republicans, that was commissioned by True Beacon or whatever it's called. Maybe you know Washington Beacon. Beacon. It was op research commissioned. And then someone offered it. Steele was involved. Okay. No, no. Let me finish. Sure. There was there was op research commissioned by Fusion GPS. It was started. Steele was actually involved, and then he took it up and took it to another level. The Democrats bought it, and the Democrats used it. The six million dollar figure. I just want to say one thing about that. That was for all of the op research that they did. That was not for the dossier. I want to go back to Jeff Helm. Yes. You're the head of the Young Republicans in the 43rd Ward in Chicago, fashionable north side. Well, the, whole, the whole city, actually. The whole city now. Yeah. Congratulations. But you're <laughs> Thank right you. Right. Thank you, Jeff. Congratulations. <laughs> Got a promotion. Good for you. It's always been the whole city. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and again, uh, it's Halloween, and you were, for those listening on radio, you were dressed up, and you look spectacular in Thank your you. uh, red, white, and blue. Uh, you look like a flag. I would wear this Mike, normally, though. Mike, <laughs> I, have a sim- patriotic. I have a similar uh, jacket, here's, here's Jeff. My, I understand. To you. I want to go back to my, my question. Is you're a political animal. Is this story too difficult to follow for the average person who's out there worrying about whether they're going to get tax cuts, whether they're going to, whether they're going to be deported? All the people on, on both sides of the political spectrum, they're saying, what the hell are you wasting all this time on? Well, and you know, that's an excellent question, right? Because Mueller has been digging on this for a long time. It turns out that this entire narrative that Russia was involved in the election and, then, and that, that Putin uh, or Trump is Putin's stooge. It's it's the opposite, right? That the DNC was involved in this. The the dossier that was made up has provably false information into it, and yet it's being t- it was being touted as an intelligence source, and th- and they're just grasping at straws, trying to say, oh no, we didn't lose. The Democrats didn't lose because they ran a terrible candidate and a terrible campaign. They lost because, oh, well, Russia stole the election. George Cardenas also joins us. He's an alderman of the, the 12th Ward in Chicago. Alderman, does anybody in the 12th Ward care about what's going on? <laughs> I, in I think what, some people care. I subject. think some, some people do care what's going on, some do care about their democracy. How many? 15, oh, 20, 30 I, I, people I, I, in your I, ward? A lot, a lot. I don't have a, okay. a, a clear number, but a lot of people care about their, their democracy. Uh, this is America, after all. Uh, I, I served in the military. I care a lot about uh, my democracy in this country. And, and what's happened, uh, it's, it's, it's disastrous for uh, the U.S. to be going over this, a Russian, a, a foreign entity uh, embedded in our, in, in our politics and in in, in, in the way – uh, you know, we uh, uh, conduct uh, um, elections. Uh, these folks were playing uh, for keeps. These are spies. These are folks that do this for a living. And, and, and caught up in all of this um, are stooges. Uh, this is folks that they were doing it for other reasons, perhaps, but uh, naive, being naive, uh, they, they were playing into the hands of the Russians. It's, it's pretty clear. And the facts will come out. And this is Mueller's doing their, their investigation. They were, does anybody think we're so, playing in the hands of the Russians or were the Russians trying to get into our – 
pants. If you'll the, I think the Russians were trying to disrupt the election. Absolutely, and they, that's, that's pretty apparent. And they see, but I got to, and I'm gonna. It's, but you is know, it started to be, long me, before this election. The story for months and months and months was Donald Trump colluded right. with the Russians. Right. And I had people who are ordinarily pretty rational people look me in the eye and say, he's a stooge. I don't think he cared. Well, well, no, no, no. That, that's cared. not it at all. I just don't that, story, that story he cares about money. He cares about money. That story has evaporated. There's did interest in Russia. That's what he cares about. And now what we want to hear is, well, this is way too complicated to understand. One thing that's not too complicated to understand is the story that Trump and his campaign were stooges of the Russians were Putin's hand puppets, and he worked with them. There's nothing to back that he up. He had Ten an months economic later. relationship with like Mueller, Mueller will indict well, folks, someone folks, on Monday, folks, and that is a fact. And that is a fact. Indisputable. Back shortly. These guys are not going Shirsten anywhere. Back in Chicago. I don't even have to be here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I could go home and watch the rest of the show, but... Uh, uh, I want to kind of bring it back, and, and, and please try to. We, I like spirited conversation, but one at a time, please. Um, I want to go back to other things that I think the people are thinking about. There will be people that, that will that that will be uh, they'll love this subject. They'll want to know what's really going on. They feel they have a right to know. And by the way, our second hour this evening is going to deal with the Kennedy assassination. That was over fifty years ago. That's been a passion of mine. So I care what my government does. I care if there's collusion. I, mean, I care about all that. I'm going to demonstrate it again. We should. But Thank my, you for but, that. But my question is, uh, for those people who care about uh, a paycheck, getting a job, whether or not they're going to be deported, whether or not there's going to be tax cuts and, and things are going to be affected, whether the water is going to be clearer or not, these are people that have passions about real issues. And I'm wondering... How much of this can really get done? So my question to you, uh, Michael, and that is, do the Republicans absolutely positively need a tax cut plan passed? Or as Lindsey Graham suggested, if they don't do it, they're not likely to control anything in 2018. The Republican Congress has disgraced itself by its lack of capacity to pass the things they've been promising for the entirety of Barack Obama's term. And they are going to be annihilated if they don't start showing that they are uh, part of a party that actually has ideas and policies and can put them into law. they got a president who was eager to sign any reasonable bill they put on his desk. If they fail to pass a tax bill, the question is, why do they exist? And as a lifelong Republican, I'm forced to ask that question. Is well, there a well, question? Bruce, well, it's, well, it's, it's pretty simple. They have a president that doesn't want, doesn't want these things to be passed. He keeps fighting with his own party. He keeps fighting with senators that are key to passing his agenda. Uh, targeting uh, the, 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 the House fighting, Speaker. The, he's the, the, fighting, the, the, George, he's fighting with members of the Republican Party. Yes. Who, no, 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 wait. Who many people, maybe the majority of the people in the Republican Party, don't respect. But, it, but, they, they, but he needs those votes. I mean, the, these are Republicans. The 62 million people who voted for Donald Trump, really what? They don't really care much about Mitch McConnell because they're not fans Bruce, of Mitch but McConnell. But this, this, is, this is the reality. You need votes to pass stuff. This, this is, is the how, this how yeah, democracy so works. Democrats working you, with if the you're in the city then. council, you gotta pass, you gotta vote for stuff to be passed and become law. Would so you, if would, he fights those so, people that are gonna vote for that 
for, for whatever law is being proposed, how is he going? How does he plan on getting how there on their side? On their side. What what role? What role are the Democrats going to play in resolving any of these issues? Where is their plan for taxes? Where is their well, plan they, for they, they could play a role. 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 Absolutely. If they sit down at the table and they're part of the solution, if they're part of the negotiations, uh, negotiation process that takes place in Washington. But right now, they're not. Everything is being proposed by Republicans. Everything's on the table. For, uh, you know, they, they're the ones that come up with the, with the ideas and, and, and the tax brackets that are being proposed. So in this, they don't, they don't want, obviously, Democrats, uh, Democratic votes. They could have some. Why can't – Kitty, I want to ask you. Why can't a group of Democrats get together – Come up with their plan. They they have they have people on all the major committees. They may not have the majority, but you know they could come up with a plan. They could hold a press conference. They could be on Meet the Press. Chuck Todd would be falling all over himself to explain <laughs> what a wonderful plan it is That's for America. Absolutely Why right, haven't they done that, it? You know, as you know, I was I founded the Concord Coalition you for did, Paul Songus and Warren Rudman, so I've been through the budget process several times. That's not how DC works. Mm-hmm. How DC works is the president and the party in power have to put out their budget process and their plans, and then the Democrats will react to it. That's the process. That's how it works. Me, uh, and they uh, will. No, no, the me, Democrats have where, a plan. Where, because, again, you, you and I have known each other for well over 30 years. Where in the process has the, the role of public opinion going on radio or television shows, presenting ideas, getting, getting the, the grassroots interested in a subject so they put pressure on the members of Congress to move forward? Is, is that no longer part of the no, process? Is it all top-down no, now? No, that's totally a part of the process. In fact, not to give the Concord Coalition another commercial, but, um, but <laughs> I will. You will anyway. <laughs> but I will. Okay. They, you know, They have town hall meetings throughout, um, throughout all of the states. They do a lot more work in Ohio and, sorry, in Iowa and New Hampshire for obvious reasons. But they're proposing a budget that is balanced and does reduce the deficit, like all of their budget proposals always have. Um, there have been many Democrats that have signed on to it. There haven't been any Republicans that have signed on to it. And as they're a bipartisan group, they haven't put it forward can those, until can, they can get everybody to Can those people, people I'm, I'm going to ask you a media question, can those people not try to get on uh, on, on, on any of the, the, the cable talk shows or on Meet the Press or on Face the Nation to go on as the, as the minority spokesman on whatever the issue is and, and present a case? All I see when I see Democrats, I see, I see Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff is the face of the Democratic Party. And I'm just thinking, if I'm a Democrat out there and I'm ticked off because I lost an election, I would be wondering, here we are, you know, as I'm planning for 2018, what am I going to go back and tell my constituents other than well, Adam Schiff is there's, out there? And, and he, there's, there's Adam have a big Schiff. Problem. Can, I, can I talk about the Democrats for a second? There, there's Adam Schiff. There's Amy Klobuchar. There's, there are, there's 20 people out there talking for the Democrats. If you watch Fox News, you might not know that. If you watch Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and ABC and NBC, you'll see many different faces. But rule number one of politics is... When your opponent is busy shooting himself in the foot, don't stop him. And right now, that's the Jeff. position of so the Democrats. Speaking, yeah. speaking of the Democrats, you know, I don't know if you guys seen the Pritzker ads, but the Pritzker ad, it's like, oh, I'm just going to res- Illinois now. I'm going to resist Trump, yeah. right? 
That's it. There's, Actually, no, there's nothing substantive. It's just the a, resistance, capitalized, right? Excuse but, me. But, but, as but, a small and, business person, can I just talk about the most important thing that's in J.B. Pritzker's no, no, ads? No, 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 you can't it's because, the no, no, because we're a national show. It is national. It's health care. It's a health care plan because the Republicans have not put Kitty. out a plan to replace Obamacare. No, all, that is you, a huge national issue. Health care is... Republicans are not getting their act together on that. They have absolutely... There's a dysfunctional... One at a time. They ha- Michael. They, they have majorities in both houses and a president that wants to sign a bill, and they after seven years of saying, this is what we want to do, they couldn't come up with anything. It's... it's it's an embarrassment, and, what does, and I, I wanna, it's on them, 100%. I wanna, Inauguration I ask, I ask, was January 20th. I want to ask Jeff, I want Jeff a question. One of the big things is that Jeff Flake went on the floor of the U.S. Senate yep. uh, this week, announced that he was not running again, and just blistered uh, President Trump. Yep. People of your generation, how do they react to a speech like that? Is that a profile in courage, or is he taking a, taking a dive? If, if he were running for re-election and did that, that would be a profile in courage. He said he's not running for re-election and then just sounds off. It's like, okay, that's not courageous. You're, you're just – He's you at know, 18%. You're just yelling, yelling at people on the way out. He was um, going to get clobbered, now, whatever he did. Now, one of the interesting developments out of that race is, you know, Bannon was making big waves about, oh, I'm going to run my candidate and it's going to, oh. you know, upset the establishment. And actually what's more likely to happen is since Flake uh, is not running for re-election, that – a better Republican will get in there that isn't a Bannonite, um, which is a very positive development because I'm not exactly a fan of Steve Bannon. I think it would have been more interesting if, as you say, if he had said, you know, these are my ideas, these are my plans, this is what I would do, but in this Congress I can't get anything done. But we I mean, know the guy, Flake, Flake's main weakness was he has been basically a very open borders guy, and he doesn't like the direction the party's going on immigration and border security. That's probably the main thing that took him out. Oh. And he's out of step with his own voters. And, and he, he can read an 18% and he's an incumbent. He was dead. He's roadkill. So he backed out. And let's out. be clear. Flake picked this fight because yeah. he wrote a book um, yeah. and published a book about how, like, him. Yeah, about how Trump is – I mean I doubt that, that um, President Trump would have known who Jeff Flake was had that – Book not come out, and in, Flake in changed view, his policy uh, from his policies from the House to the Senate. He was uh, he was this rah rah red meat conservative anti earmark crusader in the House, and when he got to the Senate, he kind of squished out on most. I want to ask. Here, I want to ask one last question of the Republicans. Then I want to go back to you, George. You said a few moments ago you're not a big fan of Steve Bannon. That's correct. Are you not a big fan of him personally, or are you not a big fan of what he wants to do, which is to shake up the establishment and basically defeat them, primary them out of the party? I got no problem with shaking up the establishment. I agree a lot with what Mike said about how Congress has had eight years. Uh, The Republicans in Congress have had eight years, and they got nothing just to pull off the shelf and ready to go. I think that Bannon overestimates his own importance, and he tends to, uh, as uh, Jonah Goldberg he, he tends to only dance when it rains and call himself a rainmaker. George, a question to you. Well, no, I, Are you I, I, happy? I, I, I'm going to ask you a Democratic question now. Are you happy with the leadership of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer? I, I mean, I was, we, we, we listen, I, I think we need fresh faces uh, in, in both parties. I, I think uh, it's not working for the Republicans, I, and I think Trump's a disaster for the Republicans, to be honest with you. I know a lot of people love the guy, but 
uh, it's well, he just, is president, it, George. He is president, and I'm telling he you, pulls all the and military. I'm telling you, I think people were dissatisfied with the status quo, dissatisfied with, with, uh, um, you know, the people that have been in power for, for so long, and and I think should and pay, democratic responses, and, 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 and they pay the price. Uh, I think we have the Democrats. I, I think have a better vision, to be honest, with a more inclusive. Uh, the way the country is growing, the way the country, uh, the, the urban centers are are are, are blossoming, you know, th- that's 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 the country. That that's where the, the trend. That's this is how we're going. Uh, we're growing that way. Uh, the middle America, um, everybody's leaving the small towns. Uh, Decatur, Illinois, for example, who's you People know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ghost town. But not but not just not just Decatur. Go to Pennsylvania. Uh, go to Indiana. Go to Goshen, Indiana. Go to Alfred, doing Indiana. That? It, you know what? The young people—they're living. They're—they're they're, they're leaving there. They're going to, for, for the urban centers. The jobs are, are better. Uh, you know, more technology. Those jobs don't exist anymore in you, middle are America. You saying, no, I'm confused. Are you saying the people from the small towns are going to urban centers? That, well, the young to, people. The young people going, are, are educated. The Look, the, the jobs are. are the jobs are. The jobs are leaving uh, middle America. Red this states. Is, this is, this by the, the red states. Uh, pl- I, wanna, I want you to pick up on that, Kitty. I want to talk you talk to you about the future of the party as well. I know you've got strong opinions on that. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We've got telephone callers on the line. Let's go to John in Elkhart, Indiana, listening to us on WMNC. Go ahead. Nice to hear from Indiana tonight. Yeah, I live right near Elkhart and Goshen. And Great. We have the lowest unemployment we've had in, like, years. Mm-hmm. And the state of Indiana is struggling to find workers. Toyota was going to have a plant maybe open up in Indiana, but they aren't coming to Indiana because the number of workers to fill those jobs is not here. So I'm taking issue with whoever on the panel was um, saying that Indiana was without jobs. No, he said said it was without people. I said without people, which you just basically uh, confirmed. confirmed Yeah, that you. you don't have enough people for the number of jobs. People are fleeing middle America. John, my question to you is... Where should those people come from? Illinois. <laughs> I'm open to immigration. What? Say again? I, I'm, I'm open to immigration. You are open in, in immigration, okay? Yeah. John, what let, kind let, me speak, of jobs? Let, me see, let me speak to that a little bit. Can I, I just yes, ask John a question? Quickly. John, what kind of jobs? Um, are they manufacturing jobs? Are they agriculture jobs? Who's, um, who are the big employers in, your to- in um, so, Elkhart? Um, manufacturing and advanced manufacturing, predominantly Currently. Yeah, don't you guys have a lot of auto-related, sort of auto-related RV? RV, Tenneco Automotive is there. Uh, They they feed, obviously, Detroit. And there was a lot of Hispanic workers at one time. And guess what? They're all gone because of of this anti-immigration debate that's been going on in the country. You're saying people left the country? People left left those those cities. Were they legal or illegal? Well, a lot of them were legal. Many families are mixed. So why would they leave? Because because people tend to be uh, anti-immigrant. They don't know if you're you're legal or not legal. How do you... How do you distinguish someone who's George, Hispanic George, origin? If you're, George, if you're working and you're getting a paycheck, why would you not continue to work? It's a hostile. It's a hostile environment, and it's in, in uh, throughout throughout the, the section of Indiana, and I know it well. Elkhart, Goshen, Lagunier, all the way to Fort Wayne. It's a hostile environment for a lot of these it's people. I, I wouldn't stay. It's not, I wouldn't stay. Envi- it's not a hostile environment in Chicago. That's it's why they moved back to Chicago. It's are not. There, are there plenty it's, of jobs? There's the unemployment rate is is, is dropping in in Chicago. This entire line is insane. 
right? It, it, I mean, why is it insane? Why? Why is it insane? Why is it insane? Let him finish. Well, if you let me let talk, finish. I can tell you. Jeff, <laughs> just say it. The chair recognizes Jeff. I mean, you, you want to talk about you know all this fear and all this kind of stuff. Nobody is doing more to stoke the fear than the Democrats. That they're going to that there's going to be uh, deportation squads and all this kind of stuff. That's insane. Nobody would do that. But, but it's it happening right now today. It's happening right now People today. People are going door to door. Yes, in many. Do you not read the news? It's. <laughs> ICE is going door to door and going to people's houses, not when people have been arrested for something, but going to people's houses. Most families here in Chicago have a special folder that's put together about for their children about what to do when ICE comes to the door. Do you not read anything? Wait, wait. So you're saying that people who are here illegally... And people who are, are here legally, because many, many families, in fact, most, are mixed. Where some of the one parent, one parent might be legal, one parent might not be legal. Okay, I, so, but I just don't understand. Like, so they're here illegally, and they've and, been and here maybe for 20, 30, not, not all, not all. 40 years. But working. they're working. You're, they're working. They're working. Okay. They but have so, social look, security some, numbers. Some of them they're are working. working. Go to Utah, so where, they, where, where the dairy industry is higher. No. So, so if Jeff, they have a social security let Jeff, number, where did Kitty, they come from? Kitty, let Jeff finish his so, point. Okay, so you'll have a job or two. They, they stole an identity from somebody. No. What are you well, talking about? What are you talking about? Where did the social security number What identity? What are you talking about? Social security numbers. How do you get a social security number if you're not a citizen? There are many ways to get a social and are security they legal? number. Is, no, so they're paying. So they're, commi- they're, they're committing crime taxes, after crime after yes, crime, and paying taxes every week, which they will never be able to withdraw, and bulking up the social I'm, security. I'm paying system. social security taxes. I'm and never going to see a cent of that yes, money. Yes, you will. And that doesn't entitle yes, me to go will. commit crimes. It's uh, here. I think part part of it is is, is also naivete and, and, and some some and Jeff with all the respect. You know, in the 1970s, when you when you can't when you can't used to come to this country to work, they used to give you a social security number so they they, they could pay the proper taxes. When that was back that was back in 1970s. Yes, when, when companies brought people here. Right. Because they're 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 bringing people here to do the jobs like the dairy I just told you on the dairy sure. um, that is on in Utah and, and also Idaho they bring folks because they can't they don't have the American workers who wants to do those jobs nobody so they, they would bring them in the 1970s they don't do it anymore but that's what they used to do George and, I want I want, I want, to, I want, to, I want to ask Chris because you talk about one of the unresolved issues out there that the president has said he wants to resolve this year and the Democrats certainly want it resolved yesterday, and that is the issue of the dreamers. Right. With all of the uh, the furor, the anger, the angst that we've heard around this table just in the last 15 minutes on this particular subject, how is there going to be an agreement between Republicans and Democrats if the Democrats are saying, you know what, I want my dreamers protected, and the Republicans are saying, I want my wall built? Do you have to give the Republican in the le- you're, you're a legislator. Don't you have to give the other side something if you want to deliver something for your constituents? I think there's a lot of things that they, they can give. I, I like think what? I think the wall is a non-starter just because it doesn't make any sense. I think California doesn't oh, want it. It's they're, a, they're, but it's but, a not George George. You cannot dismiss it as a non-starter I, I, for you. It's a non-starter okay, let, for you. It's not no. a non-starter for this I, side of the here, table here, at the, and at, 62 million at, people. I think what he's saying is it's a non-starter for the community. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, America America is paid. 
for to, to educate a lot of these dreamers. The majority of the dreamers have been educated already. We already made more than the down payment. I, I talked about it in, in a speech that we basically adopted these folks. We pay for the whole thing. We pay for their education, elementary and high school, and they probably pay for their own college. But their their professionals are here. They're they're making great strides in George, many many fields. Make, but, 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 and so the Republicans you, understand that this is the future of America. They do what Republicans George, understand. Point here, George. I want to separate the dreamers. From those the I want to the dreamers from the schemers. Okay, listen. Yeah, right. You'll make my, my, my the point. The dreamers, what's, what's, me, they've been vetted. All the dreamers Would have you been vetted. Please, let, go ahead. Let me finish. Sure. You have the dreamers who have come here against their will or with their parents, and and I will acknowledge. Okay, let's say they're fine. Let's say a hundred a hundred percent of them are okay. All right. You have the Democrats who want to protect them. Okay. I don't want to throw them out either. Okay. okay. Great. But here's the but here's the difference. Those are the people that are here. They've struggled. We've heard stories. Basically, all the stories about dreamers are positive stories. You don't hear a negative story in the media about dreamers, although there may be a few bad apples with the dreamers, but I'm going to acknowledge they're 100% perfect. The schemers are the people who are in Mexico scheming for a way to get into the country illegally after a large, after 62 million people and a major political party is saying to their constituents, no. We want to we want to shut the borders down insofar as the sieve that is our border, and we're going to say we're going to do something to stop the schemers from getting in. And you know what? Because the schemers, they have a constituency in the Republican Party, and the Republicans want the schemers out, and they will acknowledge, as I think President Trump acknowledged a couple of weeks ago, he will acknowledge. I don't even think he has to swallow hard. I think in his heart, I think, he, I think he likes the dreamers. He said so. So keep the dreamers here. But let's separate the dreamers from the schemers. Thought, and let's see if the, the Democrats no, no, will look, acknowledge this. Let me George finish. finish. I, yeah, I, right, I, I, get, I get to finish this. And I think everybody's in agreement. I think a lot of Republicans and the president, which I think matters, and I think Democrats obviously put their, their ideas on the table. It makes sense on, on, their, on, its, on its own. To authorize and, you know, like you said, separate the schemers from the dreamers. And there's a lot of folks that have been vetted already, by the way. They've yes. been vetted. Those folks have been vetted. And those folks that have been vetted, let them, you know, process their paperwork so they can stay here, get a resident card, and, and have a, a future here. If that's what – if we agree on that. I would love to and, know. And, and, and then the rest of it, and then the rest of it, what is it – the schemers, and I'm sure through a vetting process – which I think the president agree, and I think a lot of people agree. If they don't, if they don't meet the criteria, then they shouldn't be here. And okay. I and, and I understand no, that. I want to hear the Republicans look, now. Look, look, the, Michael, but we shouldn't get into those no, wall no, thing and, and, and add uh, the, more things all right, to this it. This side of the table is going to respond now. During the campaign, Trump got asked about the Dreamers, and I'll never forget it. He says, uh, "You know the way he is. He says the kids. You know, it's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one." And what he did was very interesting. He sent Obama did it by executive <clears> order. That could be gotten rid of with the stroke of a pen. You got people making the life decisions based on something. And they can be removed with the stroke of a pen. Trump basically sent it to Congress, said, write me a bill I can pass. He's giving it to both parties to sort this out and come up with some kind of reasonable deal. Remember the Elian Gonzalez, the screaming kid with the guy yes. with the gun? You think Trump wants thousands of pictures of Elian Gonzalez getting sent back? And he Elian was Cuba, by the but way. I know he's Cuban. The point is a child being grabbed by the government and sent back Force to a country he's never been to. Trump doesn't want that. No one wants to see that. Didn't bother Janet so, Reno. Janet Reno, huh. well, it doesn't matter. My point is this. Tr Trump basically told Congress, 
put this in law, come up with it. Of course he talked about the wall. He wants some kind of grand bargain that's going to let him declare victory on that promise, that's going to do something that isn't brutal to kids who had no say about what brought them into the country, and get this whole thing off the table. <laughs> it's a reasonable thing to do, and plus it should be done by law. It should be done by statute, not executive order, and then everybody knows where they are and we're done with it. I think Trump, by sending it back to Congress, is making the right decision. I hope the Democrats and the Republicans can put their heads together and come up with something Jeff, anything to add to that, then we're going to go back to the Democrats. I mean, I just don't understand why <clears throat> this constituency is more deserving than people who are trying to emigrate legally or immigrate legally, right? Immigrating to the United States is a long, costly process, and people are doing it the good, good faith way. These people said, no, I don't want to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, just come in anyway or overstay a visa or whatever. Are you talking about the dreamers or the schemers? I want to the folks. What are you I'm, talking about? I'm talking about illegal aliens in general. So He's not I distinguishing. Don't, I don't know that but, there's... But, 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 for the sake, so, but for the sake of getting this legislation passed... So let me ask don't, you this question. You've got to be specific. Don't let me, you yeah. have to be specific? <laughs> let me I mean, ask I've this tried question. to lay it out real clearly. You have the dreamers and you have the schemers. Sure. You've even got a good slogan you could, you could play. Because there's... A, and, and, then, me, and then within the broader field, there are those that, har, that are hardworking. Okay, and then you have those that are gangbangers or maybe bringing drugs to the country. So if my parents made money by robbing banks... And it came but out here that, that we do have to pause. We do have to oh, pause. Oh, now I'm going to think Back people are going to think I slandered my parents. Bruce Dumont back. We have an uh, email comment. Okay, this is from Gregory listening in Vero Beach, Florida. He's got something for everybody. Many of the people leaving small Midwest towns are going to the Sun Belt for jobs in right-to-work states with better infrastructure and low costs of living. Does everybody agree with that? No, not necessarily. Not the okay, infrastructure. It's, it's, look, look at California. Well, have, California is doing phenomenal, phenomenal, and this is not a right-to-work state. It's, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's nothing to do with that. The jobs are shifting more technology What about the jobs. ones that are going to, to Tennessee and Alabama and Missouri? There, there, a lot of Mississippi them a lot of re- are directly re- related to technology. Uh, those jobs are, are doing phenomenal. Okay. Then, then uh, Gregory goes on to say, we'll ask the Republicans, can't the Republicans solve this mostly with E-Verify and not need to build a wall? I, so I've always had, held the position that the wall's a totem, right? And and it's something that people can grasp onto, the, the wall, right? As opposed to talking about uh, policing visa overstays with things like E-Verify. It's mm-hmm. just not as easy right. to, to say that second part as opposed to the wall. And, it you know, it's understood. I mean, most of the illegal immigration that happens – or it happens in cities like Chicago where they were here on a visa for whatever reason. Maybe they were a student. They had a temporary work visa, and they just overstay the visa, and they, they don't go, go home when they, they were supposed George, to. George, do, do, you know, uh, do you know the specifics relating to E-Verify, who it covers and who it not, does not cover? Do you know that off the top of your well, head? Well, E-Verify is, is simply uh, a particular company, Company A, and if they're part of the E-Verify, anybody that works for them must be going through that process. Is going to check their Social Security numbers. and It's going to check that, which is, will tell you, uh, in essence, if they're, they're – do, the do you support that plan? Yeah, of course. Okay. The biggest, do you support E-Verify? Absolutely. Unfortunately, the biggest problems with E-Verify are getting the employers to comply with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Paul Ryan opposes E-Verify. 
So if you are that's a that's because of the companies that are lobbying are him. A, that, mm-hmm. I, I understand this. <laughs> the companies way, think this, it's costs. We said too during much. the break. I don't know. I don't know whether either party really wants this to be resolved, which You're, is why we've been talking about it for twenty years. Cause, cause you, but again, Paul Ryan. I mean, the, all the Republicans could be lockstep in support of E-Verify. That would uh, that that would appease some of their constituents. And maybe maybe they would acknowledge that with E-Verify, maybe you don't need the wall. Talking in terms of parties isn't, doesn't lend clarity to this. In the Republican no. Party, you have people who represent the business community and some of the agricultural um, interests. They don't want it because they, they benefit. They want cheap labor that can't organize, that can't right. – that get, they get hurt, they're fired. They like that. It's ding, this, ding, the, it's ding. The, well, I a lot agree of us. Let me Mike. finish this. No, okay. I just want to tell you that I agree the, with the, you. The people who the good. You would well, listen. no, I think we agree. <laughs> this is something that the, yes, the voting public wants to have, and they don't want the business community to be cheating on this anymore. And we want to have a and those, reasonable uh, set of big rules. Business, no. the, the Trumpsters want these big business folks, the, the Chamber of Commerce folks. They want them drummed out of the party. Here, Bruce, well, let's, Bruce, what, let's, I, I understand why, why America is upset. And, and, and if I was part of that, I would be ex- not only extremely upset, I'd be doing something about it. Manufacturing jobs have left middle America because capitalism, uh, globalism, and, and they want to pay cheaper rates someplace else, whether it's yeah. China, Mexico, or whatever that may be, Malaysia. Or Tennessee. Or, ten- well, they, or they, Arizona. But, but they're, but they're le- no, these are companies that are leaving yes, the, the United States. But a lot of them are leaving now, industrial states because of the reasons that Gregory just mentioned. Those folks that never finished college, they never were retrained, those folks are left out of the new economy. And this is why people are upset, because when you bring new immigration – the new immigrants are probably more talented. I'm not talking about now. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of the new immigrants, where they're bringing in, they're talented. They're high-tech jobs. They're not participating in, in that new economy. I'm talking about middle America. People are upset. We haven't have had a plan, a job creation plan, where you have uh, probably more on, on, on you know, electric, electricity or, or generating jobs that, like Tesla, for example, uh, batteries and so forth. The fastest that are high growing tech, jobs in America. They're high-tech for who middle America. Who is who is responsible for it, George? And and who is responsible? It, do you think it's just singularly the Republican Party? No, I, I think, think it's I think I think it's Congress. I think they're, they're policymakers. But where where are the I, ideas? I where think are that the... we need to support the economies that are growing and invest in the economies that are growing. For example, last year there were we? more. Could I finish, please? You guys have interrupted me every single time. That's why I'm interrupting you. It's the energy jobs. Uh, there's it's a, a solar, lot of projection there, it's by wind, the way. <laughs> there's solar. There's wind. There, is, there are electrical um, new technology jobs. These are the fastest growing jobs. President Trump chose to invest in coal. Coal is not a growing industry. There are not jobs growing in coal. There are more jobs created in either one of the three green industries than coal has had in the last four years. So, okay, question here, right? Um, I, I find it amazing, well, it's, it's actually kind of predictable, that what's being proposed by the Democrats here are Soviet-style five-year plans, right? We need to, we need to decide. By whom? By whom? That's, that's what you're just talking no, about. No, I, said, we need to create I jobs. said we need to invest in economies that are growing instead of investing in economies that are dying. And you know who's, saving, you know who's saving Puerto Rico, Bruce? Tesla. Tesla is <laughs> saving Puerto Rico by having solar power uh, so they can have electricity. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's the new thinking. That's 
That's what jobs we should be creating. But, but the idea exactly. here that the government can know how much employment should be in what industry and how much investment should be made by whom policies should yeah, be. Who said that's, that? the, that's the fatal conceit. You this want you want to reform tax? You want to reform the tax structure? That's, that's what undergirds all of the, the for new new investments here, right? for those type of companies. They get a few jobs in middle America. One at a time. Factories in Pennsylvania, factories in North Carolina, Indiana, factories in Indianapolis, factories here in Chicago. The tax structures, the new tax, tax proposals that are being, you know, think, uh, thought about in Washington, they should be targeting those type of companies that are invested here in the United States. But again, we cannot forget, especially in a state like Illinois, the taxes here. They are forcing people out of this city, and they are going to other states. Jobs are going to other states, okay, because of the situation in this industrial state and in several others. Our surrounding states that surround Illinois are doing fairly well insofar as the economy is concerned. You know that we are out of time for this segment of our broadcast. We thank George Cardenas from the 12th Ward of thank Chicago you. Thank for you. joining us, carrying the water for the Democrats. And also we want to thank Jeff Helm. He is the chairman of the Chicago Young Republicans, all decked out this evening. We thank will you. continue in hour number two. We'll be talking about the revelations and also what was kept from the American people by the revelation this week of the Kennedy assassination tapes. That's coming up in hour number two. Get into the next hey, y'all, I'm Blake Shelton. I love that country music connects people all over this great nation, but unfortunately, so does something else, childhood hunger. 15 million children struggle with hunger in America. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks works to rescue our surplus food to help provide billions of meals to families in need across the country. Join the fight against hunger at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The Museum of Broadcast Communications is Chicago's perfect place for senior citizens. Enjoy a stroll down memory lane, reminisce as museum artifacts, photos, and classic TV shows trigger recollections from your childhood. Enjoy the TLC you'll receive from our expert tour guides. Discounts for groups of 20 or more. Schedule yours right now at museum.tv or call 312-245-8200. Plan your fun trip now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of Roman innuendo all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Kitty Kurth, Hillel Levin, Michael Lotus, and Jefferson Morley. Our program tonight, Company Final Base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. If you want to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo at D-U-M-O. And if you want to join us on the World Wide Web, it is beyondthebeltway.com. In this hour, we're going to be talking about the Kennedy assassination. We're going to be talking about the information released by the government and also information that has not been released about the government and uh, maybe some of the pressure that is on President Trump at this moment uh, because of some concerns in his, within his intelligence community whether, the, whether or not all of the information that has been promised to be released 
uh, will be released. And in addition to Kitty Kurth and uh, Michael Lotus, who are familiar voices on this program, we are very pleased to welcome uh, to the broadcast uh, Hillel Levin. He is a writer, a JFK researcher. He is a producer of a, of a great play called Assassination Theater, which we were pleased to host here at the Museum of Broadcast Communications a couple of years ago, and, and knows m- more about the Kennedy assassination than anyone that I know, and we've done a lot of research and a lot of conversations together. But Hillel, I, I want to get your, your basic reaction. And I didn't ask before I asked you to be on. I don't know the answer to this question. But based on what was released last week, uh, were you excited? Were you disappointed? What was your reaction when the hoopla was over? Two reactions. I mean, one is, to this point, it's thin gruel, I have to say. And uh, to a great extent, I feel that the media has not really focused on all the documents that have come out since the JFK Act in, in 1992. And, you know, this was only emphasized in the last couple of, of days. And, and to me, the disappointment has been the ignorance of the reporters for New York Times, Washington Post, all, all the best media who have covered this. For example, they have focused on a memo that uh, basically was written by an aide to to LBJ that had uh, Hoover saying the most important thing in essence is that we have to make it look like Lee Harvey Oswald was the only assassin or the real assassin as he put it. That, That is very important because this is before the Warren Report. This is a man who's leading the investigation for the Warren Report and right from the top he's saying we have to make this look like this is the only guy who did it. Right. Unfortunately, this document has been out for decades. Mm -hmm. This was in the appendix to the House Select Committee on Assassinations. This statement has been out there. I mean, it's a good thing reporters have finally recognized it. But what they focused on the most is really not necessarily any new information. I mean, instead, this has just highlighted the fact that no one really has followed at least in, in the major media, this information. Now, there was an element to this memo that was redacted originally, and this element had information about, or at, at this point, sketchy information where Hoover's saying, and this guy, Oswald, was even in Mexico City, and he was trying to go to Cuba, and this was redacted from that. Of course, that information had all come out eventually. But the, the most important and the most disheartening thing to me was just seeing how these few comments were being reported on as though this was some big revelation. Now, one thing, obviously, whenever you're talking about a historic event, uh, there's a lot of people listening and watching, to the, show, watching the show this evening uh, who were too young. They weren't alive. The, the, to, to, they're surprised by some of this stuff. Yes. And there, then there are those like yourself, and you've spent the vast majority of, of the majority, certainly the majority of the last, let's say, 30 years of your life thinking about this issue, as well as myself. And there's a lot of catch-up. And as you yeah. said, the, the reporters of today, you know, they might have missed the story that's been out there 15 years. So I- explain to the younger folks who may be listening to the broadcast this evening. Talk about the investigation that was done by the House 
Assassinations Committee that led to the act that is now forcing the president to release the information that came out last week, some of which is all out there, but yet there's a few things, some surprises that are not out there. Why are we talking about this now? Explain it. And, and, and let me even back up a little more, and I can go into a little more depth later on this. I mean, we first have to look at the first few days after the assassination, and, and we can go into more detail a little mm-hmm. later. But there was, and, and this is, is my concern with how this whole story is framed, but I believe there was an initial concern that Oswald was legitimately either KGB or Cuban sympathizer. And to put this into context, only months, hardly a year before, we had a Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Right. And the documents that have come out that I don't think mm. people have focused on enough show there was legitimate concern that this was going to touch off a nuclear war. Right. And, and again, I want people to put their, themselves in the framework of, of these people who are running our government at the time, which is basically the Kennedy administration. Right. If they did believe that Oswald was a part of a KGB group and that they were not going to find the Confederates or, or put a neat bow around it, what were the Soviet Union going to think? Right. And documents that have come out since is they had reasons to fear that the Soviets were thinking, boy, if they think we did this, they're about to send a bomb over. Right. And maybe we should send a bomb over. And, and a document that was revealed just two years ago that hardly has gotten any uh, public any publicity, which was an interview with the head of the CIA at the time, said that when they tried to reach Khrushchev after the assassination, he wasn't available. So in these hours after the assassination, they're thinking he's hunkering down, either waiting for us to hit him or to hit us before we hit them. And we should also mention that, that at that particular time, uh, there had been attempts by our government to assassinate Fidel Castro. Absolutely. So the idea of retaliation in those three days after the fact were, were, were very important. Absolutely. In the same document that I'm referring to, and this was an interview with John McCone, he is, immediately goes to Bobby Kennedy as soon as he hears his brother's shot. And that's the first thing Bobby Kennedy says. I'm responsible. What we did to kill Castro maybe brought this on, and I'm partly responsible for the assassination. I, so this sets the scene. Now, within hours, these people at the head of our government are aware that this guy, Lee Harvey Oswald, has these connections with the KGB. And as I just mentioned, he was in Mexico City. He was trying to go to Cuba. What do we do? Right. When we come back, by the way, I, for those listening around the country, This is the opportunity to call in and talk with someone who is just incredibly knowledgeable on this particular subject. I know it's near and dear to the heart of many people who listen to this broadcast. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Jefferson Morley. Uh, He also is an expert in the field, and he will also offer his assessment. We've got a great conversation going on here this evening. Your questions are important to us. 1-800-723-8289. 
Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us on Beyond the Beltway. We're talking about the Kennedy assassination and the release of information by the government and some things that they have not released. Joining us now from Washington, D.C. is Jefferson Morley. He is one of the leading researchers on the Kennedy assassination. He's author of a new book called The Ghost, The Secret Life of CIA Spymaster James Jesus Angleton. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, uh, Mr. Morley, thank you very much for joining us on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Thank you for having me. Based on what was released last week, as someone who's been following this this story for for you know decades, what 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 was the what was the surprising thing, if anything, that you learned last week when the information was released? What we learned last week was that the Kennedy assassination is still a very sensitive subject at the top of the U.S. government, and as a result, President. Trump, under pressure from the CIA and FBI, has only released about 10% of the records that were supposed to be released in their entirety by October 26th. So we're three days past the legal deadline now, and 90% of the material still hasn't been seen. So I think that's the most important thing that has happened. And by the way, let me just mention, let me mention that when you talked about the deadline, the, de- the deadline to release October 26 was the deadline set in place uh, by the, the National Archives Act, uh, which followed the investigation of, by the House many, many years ago. Actually, Bruce, it, it followed the JFK movie. The, yeah, yeah, which which yeah. led which led to, yeah. which led which to the led public to the really but again there was but there was that that led to a congressional investigation which led to no actually it just that that after ninety two yeah the Congress said this whole Oliver Stone movie and I mean I believe oh, yeah. I believe me I don't buy any of that nor do I but this was all baloney we have nothing to hide but in fact they did have a lot to hide but at that point they said we're going to set up an assassination records review board within the National Archives, right. and we will set a deadline as to when everything has to be screened before it can be released okay. for national security purposes. Okay. And again, the, the term national security was the term that was used by President Trump last week in explaining why he did not release all of the information, although uh, he did say he ultimately would do it once uh, uh, once the na- he was going to remove some names and addresses. But I want to go back to, to Mr. Morley. Mr. Morley, give us your assessment of sort of the pressure that the president has been under by his intelligence communities, which led to his at least uh, partial pulling back from releasing all of the information last week. What do you think is in the documents that the government is still sitting on? I think very sensitive and potentially damaging information about the CIA's pre-assassination monitoring of Lee Harvey Oswald, which started under the supervision of James Angleton in November 1959 and continued for the next four years. So this material includes the operational files of CIA officers who were knowledgeable about Oswald before the assassination. James Angleton is one. David Phillips is another. These are people who are known to have known about Oswald before the assassination. So their records are important, and the CIA is hanging on to them. They were supposed to, by law, be made public last week. Now the president has extended the JFK Records Act deadline by 180 days. I think the important thing to recognize here is that if the agencies were able to prevail over the president 
at the legal deadline, there's no reason to think why they won't try and prevail over him again six months from now and keep these very important records out of public view. I should say also that – yeah, go ahead. I I, want to ask your response – get your response to something I said on this program a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this – and I urge my my audience to let their, everyone know to that put the pressure on the president to release everything to be totally trans right. uh, you know transparent and and we had we had those left of center right of center on the program really for two consecutive weeks everybody agree, agreed let's let everything out but I raise right. this question this this gets into contemporary politics as well because it is known that the president has a rocky relationship with his intelligence community now. And right. he's not he's not he didn't go in with a Pollyanna view of intelligence like his predecessors all did. And right. because of that, that if he is viewed as the guy that that spills the beans, does he put his life in danger? You know, I've heard that talk before, and I don't think so. Um, uh, I, don't, I just don't think so. OK, um, I think that um, uh, that and and I that is not the reason why I believe that President Trump caved into the pressure from the CIA last week. I think that President Trump wanted to do the popular political thing, which mm-hmm. would be to release the records, because across the right. political spectrum, people say this is a commonsensical thing. Let's do it. Right. The CIA and the FBI, on the other hand. This information about the pre-assassination surveillance of Oswald is potentially very damaging because it may, in the in the evidence in the records of pre-assassination surveillance of Oswald, there may also be evidence of the pre-assassination manipulation of Oswald, and that is something that the agency is determined to keep out of public view and and to even to prevent people from even talking about the possibility, but. I've been writing about this subject for a long time, and the CIA's behavior, frankly, is just very suspicious. And when you see how they delay their legal obligations to, to, to disclose all these records, I cannot reach a, uh, you know, a happy conclusion about why they are doing that. They are doing that to hide relevant information about the assassination of a president, which is in their hands. And we are not allowed to see. So I think the important thing now is I think we need legislation to kind of clarify mm-hmm. the, the, the president's wish for full desire, which he expressed again mm-hmm. and hopefully would be able to happen. But remember, Congress unanimously 25 years ago said that all this material should be made public. The law yeah. was signed by a Republican president. It was implemented by a Democratic president. And still we come down 25 years later and the secret agencies are able to blow the deadline. Okay. That has to be of concern. That's what was con- discouraging right. about Thursday. I want to talk more about that, but Kitty Kurth, our Democrat, she has a question for you. Go ahead, I Kitty. Just, sure. I want to go back, Democrat and history major. Um, sure. I want to go back for a minute. Why, um, and pull on the Oswald thread, why did sure. they begin to look at Oswald in 1959? Oswald, uh, a uh, a 20-year-old ex-Marine, got a discharge from the Marines and went to Helsinki and then to Moscow and told uh, U.S. officials in Moscow that he wanted to defect and live in the Soviet Union. So the State Department reported that back to the United States. The press reported on it. And when the employees of the CIA read in the Washington Post on November 2, 1959, 
that a defector named Oswald had had turned up in the Soviet Union. They they opened a file on him, and that file was controlled by the CIA counterintelligence chief James Angleton for the next four years. And as I show in my book, Angleton used Oswald for intelligence purposes before the assassination. Angleton was trying to find a mole inside the CIA, and Oswald was used in that effort. So they paid attention to him because he was a defector, um, and they followed him because he might be useful in counterintelligence operations. That's a very complicated explanation, but it is well-founded in CIA records that have been released in the last 10 years. Michael Lotus also has a question uh, on the sure. issue. Go ahead, it's Michael. For, for both of the uh, experts. The statute set a 25-year deadline. It set a specific date. The date has not been met. You told us 90% of the documents have not been disclosed. Who has standing to sue in federal court to compel the production of these documents? I don't want to have another statute passed. They've shown what they do with that. A federal judge ordering somebody to do something and holding some specific custodian of records personally liable and putting him in handcuffs until the documents are produced might move this along. Do you know the statute well enough By to say well, there, to do There this. was always this out that if you could show it had an impact on national security, it didn't have to be released. Then, so that's right, why they yes, created yes. the assassination Who makes that determination? Records Review Board. Who... That's what I. The president. When you were yeah. no earlier, when you were saying like that, all the records were being reviewed. Who um, who reviews them? They they had a whole team of military analysts. Actually, there's an excellent book if people want to wade through it. Yeah. A four volume book called Inside the Assassination Records Review Board that was written by one of the analysts. Oh, cool. Who yeah. goes in a great detail about the medical cover up issues related to. JFK's yeah. autopsy. Mr. Morley, go so, ahead. Yeah, um, so the JFK Review Board determined that these records, the JFK Review Board existed for four years in the 1990s, and their job was to review and release JFK records under the terms of the law. And most of the records that we are talking about, most of the records covered by the law, were released in the 1990s. So this entity, the JFK Review Board, reviewed these records and said, they are relevant to the assassination. The agency said, we would like to postpone the disclosure of these records for the maximum amount of time. So they were given until October 26, uh, 2017. At that point, the agencies did have the option for continued secrecy, but that, the, that portion of the law has not been respected either because what that portion of the law said was for each document that a postponement is requested, the, a, the requesting agency has to write a declassified explanation of the reason for the withholding, and they have to publish it in the Federal Register, the daily newspaper of the U.S. government. Okay? That has not been done. Hmm. So the law has not even been respected. They could, they could ask for a postponement of some. Yep. So, what, yeah. so what we have here as we head to a break, what we have here is we have a disrespect for the enforcement of a law that people should be clamoring about, that there should be full transparency, everything should be out, regardless of what the CIA and FBI want. The demand should still be on the president. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. 
Bruce Dumont back. Uh, one of our guests this evening is Jefferson Morley. He is a JFK researcher. He is also author of the book, The Ghost, The Secret Life of CIA Spymaster James Jesus Angleton. And uh, we're also joined by Hillel Levin, who is uh, the playwright and author and a researcher of uh, the play Assassination Theater. And again, Kitty Kurth and Michael Lotus also join us. I want to talk to you uh, a question, uh, Jefferson, because you've written a whole book on James Angleton and you referenced him in our last segment. I think most people listening to the show know the name of J. Edgar Hoover. They know that supposedly he, he knew more secrets than anybody in the world. I'm judging from your book, however, that James Angleton knew a lot more than J. Edgar Hoover. He is certainly a rival to Hoover in that category as a master of uh, hidden information and, and, and using it to leverage to maximize his political power. And in fact, as I show in The Ghost, Angleton and Hoover had a close working relationship for for probably about 15 years. And uh Unbeknownst to most people, Angleton was really instrumental in the creation of the infamous COINTELPRO program at the FBI, uh, a program to harass and disrupt domestic uh, uh, dissidents and, 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 and political liberals. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that program, COINTELPRO, is usually attributed solely to Hoover, and he indeed had a major role, but it really should be thought of as a Hoover and Angleton project mm-hmm. because they really mounted it together. Uh, Angleton handled the foreign aspects. Hoover handled the, the domestic. COINTELPRO is a counterintelligence program. Angleton was chief of counterintelligence. So it makes sense. They work hand in glove together. So, and, 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 and what we're seeing here in the, in the, in the kind of botched rollout um, of, of JFK files, you know, that Angleton's still a very sensitive subject. There's at least four uh, records about him that were supposed to be made public last week that are still secret in their entirety. So in, your point, your point yeah. before about, you know, the law being flouted, that's the key. In, in, in your belief with, with what was not released, and again, if, if people just tuned in, only 10 percent, there were 28 uh, thousand documents, 2,800 documents released. That represented just 10% of what should have been released. And Correct. they've talked about names being redacted and redacted, rather. Um, what conceivably could be in those documents from 1963 that would impact U.S. foreign policy and national security now? He'll, uh, no, I, again, I, I would say these are really issues regarding institutional embarrassment. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, and I, I may not believe to the extent that, that Jeff does that the CIA was actually involved in the assassination. I think they had mutually shared assets, but I believe that Oswald was manipulated, but I believe he was mis- manipulated by a mob leader in New Orleans named Carlos Marcello and through uh, David Ferry, who was a uh, a friend of, of uh, Oswald's who, who worked for Marcello. But nevertheless, there was a lot about um, Lee Harvey as Oswald's activities in Mexico City. I should say uh, Jeff wrote an excellent book about Winston Scott, who was a CIA uh, chief uh, in, at that point in time in Mexico City. But 
a lot has come out, and I think a lot of the information, from my perspective, especially something called the Lopez Report, which was a 400-page document that was done by investigators for the House Select Committee, that I think has a tremendous detail about everything that Oswald did when he was in Mexico City, but which really shows what a screw-up this guy was, that this was not some kind of mad genius or some you know, uh, in, incredibly guile, guileful individual. I mean, this was a guy who was, who was given orders. You go and you act like you want to go to Cuba, go get a visa. The Cuban embassy, they say, well, you have to get clearance from the Soviet embassy before you can get a visa. And what does Oswald do? He takes this attractive woman who's working at the Cuban embassy out for a date, and he proceeds to screw around, you know, literally and figuratively <laughs> with her. He never goes to the Soviet embassy. And whoever set this up, and again, I have my suspicions, they end up having an imposter go. They have someone get on the phone, and, and Jeff goes into the fact there was a, fo- a phone call that was recorded of someone claiming to be Oswald, trying to reach someone at that Soviet embassy. And again, that was an imposter because Oswald spoke good Russian, and this tape has someone speaking broken Russian. But anyway... Right. All of this information does not point to, in my opinion, that Oswald was this independent individual who was coming up with this master plan. Someone was leading him around by the nose. Mr. Morley, let me ask you the question that every skeptic has asked me for the last 30 years, and they've asked me this in the last 10 days. How could this be a secret? How could the government, if the government was involved, or the mob, or whoever is the, the, uh, at the ultimate head of this conspiracy. How could they get away with it for all these years? Now, my answer has always been, they really didn't get away with it. That's why we're talking about it over 50 years later. What's your answer to that question, Jeff? Uh, my, answer, my answer is threefold, and the first part is what you said. The second part is, people who say that are really unfamiliar with how CIA covert operations are organized and structured. Right. Um, and they are organized and structured to keep the, 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 the number of witting people very, very small, um, to separate different aspects of the operation uh, among people who know nothing about each other and, in fact, who don't even know that they are advancing uh, a CIA conspiracy when they are doing them. So, you know... I, People don't know how CIA operations are, are, are run, and therefore they're prone to this naive view that, oh, somebody would have talked. In fact, when people plan crimes, they plan to get away with them, and sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. And what we see here is we don't know who perpetrated the wrongful death of the president. And I would, I would disagree with Hillel, who said, I think the CIA was involved. I haven't seen the record, so I'm old-fashioned in this way. I'll decide after I see the evidence, not before. I want to follow up. A follow up to you, and then our other guests. They have. They want to ask a question as well. Hillel, in the first segment tonight, said that uh, in the days immediately following the assassination, there was fear at the highest levels of the government that either the Russians or the Cubans were involved in the assassination. 
And if that would have been the case following less than a year after the Cuban Missile Crisis, I believe uh, as a young man then and as an old man now, I think the thirst for retaliation against the Soviet Union and or, 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 or Cuba, it, no political force could have stopped it. So my question to you, and I'm going to ask each of you to give, give me kind of a quick answer to this. In retrospect, did the government do the right thing in preventing nuclear war, potential nuclear war with the Russians, by coming up with a conspiracy and a cover-up that we're talking about over 50 years later? Hillel. I, I, believe it or not, I do have sympathy for where they stood at that moment. And again, this is an hour, within hours after the assassination. Right. This is, he is identified as a potential KGB agent while the plane is still en route with JFK's body to Washington. And I think there is a seminal point where Bobby Kennedy, General Maxwell Taylor, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and Robert McNamara, the Secretary of Defense, are together in a helicopter on their way to Air, For Air Force One to meet the plane. And at that point, Bobby Kennedy is the first one on the plane. He says to the Secret Service agent, it was only one man. And I believe at that point, is those were the most important people in the cover-up. And when that body went in for the autopsy, embarrassing things were done, and it's those things that people have never wanted to divulge. Mr. Morley, your response to the same question. You know, um, the, the possibility that you are not considering there is what we have learned under records released under the JFK Records Act. And, and some of the most significant ones were a bunch of papers about something called Operation North Woods. And what Op Operation North Woods was a Pentagon CIA plan to provoke a war with Cuba. And the way that the, the Pentagon in, 1960, in the summer of 1963 proposed to provoke a war with Cuba was to stage a spectacular crime, hijacking a plane, a terrorist attack, that sort of thing, and arrange for the blame to fall on Castro. And so one possibility that we need to keep in mind is that the people who killed Kennedy were hoping to provoke exactly the reaction you're talking about, that a rogue state, communist state, was responsible, and therefore the United States was justified in retaliating. Operation Northwoods wasn't a conspiracy theory. It wasn't dreamed up by Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone didn't know about it. It, came, it was disclosed five years after his movie. Okay? So the, the, the notion that um, you know, communists were responsible that was, in fact, generated by CIA assets in Miami and New Orleans within hours of the assassination. So, you know, what, what, what I do have sympathy, like Hillel, for, for, for policymakers who were, who were facing a frightening situation. But we have to consider the possibility that that very fear was used to prevent an investigation of people who were, were responsible within the U.S. government. But, right. you know, we've, I, got, we've got to pause when we come okay. back. Okay. Uh, one other very quick thing is that, uh, and I've looked at these tapes uh, many, many times, the first time that Lee Harvey Oswald is re referenced on national television is about two and a half hours after the assassination. And after that, within like a half hour, there is B-roll, that's a news term, where you see Lee Harvey Oswald passing out a fair play for Cuba leaflets in New Orleans. I mean, even in contemporary media, it's pretty hard to have that B-roll so quickly. 
They had it literally within an hour. Bond back in Chicago. And uh, a question to you, Je- uh, Jeff. I'm going to let you start. I want to get uh, Hillel's response, and then our other guests have questions for you. Uh, you you have shared this evening your frustration, Hillel's frustration, and I have shared my frustration that right. uh, after 25 years we still don't have what we are what have been, has been dictated by by this congressional committee. My question to you is. What should we do next? How do we, how do we exercise and, and mobilize people to get the president to let it all out? Uh, I, I think that um, I share your skepticism about Congress, but uh, I have examined the legal remedies, and it's very difficult to figure out how to bring a lawsuit around this case. For, that's a whole other legal discussion right. which we can have. So yeah. I think the best option is public pressure. Senator Charles Grassley and Congressman Walter Jones, uh, Republicans joined by Democrats, Pat Leahy, Marcy Kaptur, Mary Louise Slaughter, have introduced resolutions calling on the president to release all the documents and to reject all requests for postponement from the agency. Now, those resolutions that they introduced uh, earlier this month are only sense of the Congress resolution. And you know, they were hoping for the gentlemanly solution to put pressure on the president. That didn't work. So I think what we need to do now is to escalate to legislation, which dictates that these, uh, a, a, an independent body will come in, review, and release all of these records so that this, uh, the statutory deadline is met. I think we're probably locked into the 180-day timetable that President Trump set up. Um, but I think that if Congress stepped in and passed legislation and, and said, we want all of these records now, that would ensure that it happens. I also think that public pressure is building to release all of these. And Attorney General Sessions said yesterday that, that the FBI would, would do almost virtually complete disclosure tomorrow with FBI records. If that's true, that's a very encouraging statement. Yes. The problem is, is that we've heard a lot of statements out of the White House since Thursday that simply aren't true. And so we have no basis for accepting these statements at face value. I think, though, that to answer your question, I think it's public pressure, uh, calling your congressman, calling your senators, telling them to support uh, Congressman uh, uh, Walter Jones and Senator Charles Grassley and Senator Pat Leahy, uh, and, and let's get something in language, in effect, that says this has got to be done. This, I this is, I want, I want to, Hillel, I want to get your response, but I just want to jump in here. This is an issue that is bipartisan in a city, in a, in a country we live in where the partisanship is horrendous. This is yes. one issue, whether you're left of center or right of center, you're speaking up for the American people that deserve this is information we should have all. It should be out there. And again, when right. you've got Grassley and, and Leahy on the same team, that is significant. And people do have got to call their, their members of Congress and, and their senators, demand that this information be released. I, I don't think there's a, there's a closer bipartisan issue that's, that's out there. Hillel, what would Bruce, you add to that? I, no, I, I totally agree. I, I, I totally agree with Jeff on this, too. And I think it is an absolute loser for anybody in Congress to somehow object to this. I think the right. momentum behind it will, would be huge. So there's no doubt. But on the other hand, I think if Trump left to his own devices, is never going to let this stuff out. So we definitely 
have to have put pressure on him. So all of that yes. I agree with. But for me, unfortunately, and this goes back to your question as to why has this never come out, I mean, yeah. when people say this. And I think yeah. there was an initial strategy to meet with any question of conspiracy right from the beginning with ridicule. Like, and, yeah. and Earl Warren would say, like, how could you question me, the most momentous event of my lifetime, right. that I would somehow cover this up? Yes. And it worked very well. And it worked to this day. And that is what really concerns me about the press coverage in the last week. I don't know how, how Jeff feels about this. But really, it, it continues to reinforce, of course, we all know what really happened, that this guy did it and everything else is, is a joke and... You know, you have the New York Times putting, like, a, an array in a very, uh, you know, slapdash way. Well, well, the mob concept, oh, that couldn't have happened because some guy says he heard all the wiretaps that ever were and it wasn't mentioned and the CIA couldn't have done it for this reason. And that, unfortunately, just adds to this general feeling that there really is nothing to find. We all know what really happened. Well, Kitty, you have a well, question about the media. Well, I, I guess my, yeah, it's a slightly different. As I was listening to all of the coverage over the last couple of days, like I heard Dan Rather, who actually was there and covered the assassination. His and whole career few, is based on this. And, and there are a few other reporters who are still alive who were actually there and covered Kennedy and covered this whole cast of characters. And it's frustrating to me that every month that goes by, they might not be here. And I would really like to hear from them about all these documents, you know, the people who were there covering it but contemporaneously. The, but I, but they were part of the t they were part of the of the apparatus that covered it up. Dan Rather's yeah. career was made. Dan Rather was part of the cover up. See, all the news and I mean, the, the, one but of the things. One had of the, the documents, no, but, we might know that. Well, I, but I, but 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 trust me, for those people who've done research for thirty five years. We already know this, and I, and I will tell you something. You know, the, the fashionable term now is fake news. The release of the Zapruder film in Life magazine, where they extracted frames because they didn't want to upset Jackie, uh, uh, Jackie Kennedy, that was fake news. The American people were sold fake news in the Warren Commission in 1963 and 64. And, and again, we're, we're trying to get well, actually, we're trying I, to get I, I got a great Dan Rather just on point with that. The, Very quick the, question. The Zapruder film, in those days, Super 8 was really 16 millimeter. It was cut in half and half was typically thrown away. There's you, We could speak for an hour about what happened to that film in the 12 hours, in the 12 years before the well, public it saw it. But there were two versions. One version, Dan Rather saw an early version of it. And he went out and said to people once the other version came out, this is not what I saw. I saw the body rocking back and forth and side to side. And he was blown away. You don't know what you were saying. Don't say that. And he, Dan Rather was quickly intimidated into saying, well, maybe I didn't really see Folks, that. on that note, we are out of time this evening. I want to thank you, uh, Jefferson Morley. I want to thank you, Hillel. I want Kitty and, uh, and uh, Michael Otis. We thank you all. The title of the book is The Ghost. And again, you can buy it on Amazon.com. Thank you all for being with us. Call your congressman and call the White House. Demand full transparency. Good night from Chicago. <laughs>